Hey, what's going hey, what, on? Not much. How you doing, man? Oh, doing okay. <laughs> you losing more money? <laughs> no, I'm fine. I'm doing okay. I'm okay. Doing. Yeah, your message yesterday was kind of it's kind of funny, but also a little heartbreaking. Going down that uh. Yeah, you know, <clears throat> this is what it is. I'm not. I don't want to get into it. Let's just not talk about this. But, okay. No, you know, I, mean, I, I will talk about it, it kind of will come up a little bit because uh, I had a question for you and I'm sure you'll ask the same of me. Uh, you know, the, the new the, the, the new year's coming. This is the last day of, of 2020. And I was kind of curious about highlight, low light of the year. You know, I think that's a good little question for a day like today. Dude, I think that's a really good question. Do you want to you want to go first? You got something in mind? Yeah, sure. My low light would be um, the stock market crash in March. That's an easy one for me. I lost an, an insane amount of money, and going through that was for for oh about two two plus weeks, I think of just agony and you've seen your life fall apart. And I heard somebody make a, a great analogy. When you lose a great sum of wealth and, and, and money, it's almost like a death in the family. So you literally, and I literally went through the five stages of grief while it was happening. Dabda. <laughs> What's that? Is that is that is that the acronym for the five yeah. stages? Yeah, denial, anger, bargaining, uh -huh. depression, acceptance. I think exactly. I went through all five of those. Yeah. I went through all five of those stages, one hundred percent, while it was happening, and um, so that was probably the low light was seeing my life savings go down the toilet. But uh, from that. You grow stronger, um, you learn, and, uh, you know, it's just you become more experienced, you know. So, and I, I hope something far better will come out of it than where I was heading before. That's that's how I look at it. And, yeah. Um, it's just the way you, you, you know, in this world, you know, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to get hit with um you know a ton of bricks every now and then it's it what differentiates the men from the boys so to speak or the winners from the losers <clears throat> are are you strong enough to get back up and keep going and uh resilience yeah <sighs> so <clears throat> And you live and learn, dude. I hate to use such a cliche, but I'm no, that's exactly what I'm saying. It's experience. You live and you learn. You know. Yeah, exactly. you're learning. You might you might laugh one day at the amount of money you lost and think, "Oh man, when I lost this, I thought, mm -hmm. well, there's no returning from that." And that might be a that might be one trade exactly. In the future. That might be you know I don't I don't know. That's exactly um, how I look at it. I, I kind of do laugh at that idea and just say, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm, I might one day I might turn around and laugh at the amount of money I lost. Exactly. Yeah. And, and there is a, I don't want to go down a, a rabbit hole per se talking about stocks and investment, but there is a book I want to send you. I know it's more, you know, I know you, you probably know more than I do, but it's, 
it's more based on kind of value investing and Warren Buffett's rule number one, but um, that's the name of the book actually rule number one by Phil town. But I think it'll just give you a different perspective. And, and so what, if you, if you read the book and you're like, yeah, that's not really how I want to do this and whatever you got this guy's perspective on it, you know, maybe you learned something you didn't know, but uh, I think it'll be a fun, fun book for you to read. Yeah. You know, Warren Buffett's an, <clears throat> an interesting character. Um, and you know, he's, he's this deep analyst type dude who sees the value in, in this case, in companies that most other people don't. He's sort of, um, I think he, I think he did a little of that kind of corporate rating thing. If I understand, he'd find undervalued companies, see their value, whether it be in hard assets as, as far as like, you know, machinery or materials or equipment. And if it had been such an abysmal failure that the value had been overreacted the other direction where now people are selling shares of that company uh, for the holdings of that company at a lower value than what the assets itself they're made up of are worth. It's like, that's a no brainer. You buy it and you liquidate. That's, that's corporate rating. That's, that's what, um, Bain Capital, uh, Mitt Romney, that's what he did. That's how he made his hundreds of millions uh, in that equity, private equity firm. Right. And, you know, investment banking that he was into back then. And, yeah, so there's there's always that. But, you know, so he, he he's, yeah, he's, he's uh, you know, he's a smart guy, all that. And... And all that, but yeah, I'm not really getting into Warren Buffett. I think he's he's an interesting character in investment. Um, I'm more of a, I like if you're going to be a value investor type, and the guy who likes and investing, you know, <clears throat> actual right. investing. What I'm talking about, what I'm doing, isn't really investing. But um, if you like that kind of thing, an investor, I would I would point people towards. Um, he ran the Magellan Fund. What's his name? Peter something. Hold on. Magellan Fund. Peter Lynch. Peter Lynch. Peter Lynch. Uh, um, that guy's an absolute badass. <laughs> There's nothing to say about it. He consistently... Let's see here. Yeah, let's see. Peter Lynch is an American investor, mutual fund manager, and philanthropist. As the manager of the Magellan Fund at Fidelity Investments between 1977 and 1990. Lynch averaged 29.2% annual return. Are you fucking kidding me? This guy's a god, Damn. you know? And uh, <laughs> and the Magellan Fund, I remember when I, my first year, or the one year I didn't find uh, my mentor and boss at the time, yeah, he told me about the Magellan Fund. This, this thing was lit legendary, you know? And you couldn't possibly believe it could keep on going up every year the way it was, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but it did. It constantly went up, you know, it was just insane. So, uh -huh. um, guy was just really smart and picking uh, companies and, uh, one of his little things he came up with was selling your winners to reinvest in your losers is like plucking is like, uh, is like, uh, 
cutting all, away all your your flowers and your vegetables to so you you will so you'll use uh, the the water you have left to water your weeds. <laughs> you know, but so yeah, he's the kind of guy like yeah, hold. If you got a winner, you ride that pony, baby. You don't just take the take your winnings and cut and run loose, you know? <laughs> and then the stupid thing is you're still emotionally holding on to these things you're hoping will turn around and become a winner uh, or winners, but they, they haven't proven to be yet. And, and, you know, so you're taking a big risk. That's another one. It's like, okay, so you got this company and you're investing in it because you think it's a good value because it's on its way down because it used to be priced at $100 a share. Now it's priced at 10. Well, what's to stop it from going to zero? You know, it can't go any, it could go to zero, you know? And he goes, the best yeah. strategy is, you know, you wait till a company uh, reorganizes, has a good culture, good, good fundamentals again, and has bounced off from that bottom and it's on, on its upward trajectory. That's when you want to invest. And so, yeah. And look at the companies that, you know, back to Buffett, look at the companies that he's continuously made money and stuck with uh, McDonald's, Coca-Cola, um, I'm trying to think of something. I, I think, although I think he took a bath in some airlines this year, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I was going to say some. Major. I think I he, was going to say some of the airlines, but he's been in Coke and McDonald's for decades, dude. And I don't think he's getting out anytime soon. He was, um, yeah, no. He his biggest his biggest holding at Berk, Berk, Berkshire Hearth, uh, Hathaway. Berkshire Hathaway. That's his his. Um, firm's name and you could buy it public it's publicly traded there's a class a stock and a class b shares and his class b let's see what it's trading at right now berkshire hathaway class b is trading at 231 dollars nine cents okay uh all right you know what his class a is trading at currently I couldn't. I, I kind of his class A publicly traded class A uh, uh, Berkshire Berkshire Hathaway share single stock share of the stock would be uh, is valued today currently it's up eight eight point eight percent actually today that's about two thousand seven hundred forty nine dollars it's up today hmm. which amounts to three hundred forty six thousand. And eight hundred thirty dollars. That's how much a single share of Berkshire Hathaway Class A is worth. <laughs> Good luck finding somebody to trade that. You know, to buy one of those shares if you want to get out. So that's yeah. for the people who are most who are most. Uh, um, you know, who are most like they're in it for the long run. They believe in this guy. Uh, uh, what's his name? Warren Buffett. Uh, Warren Buffett. Warren Buffett. Yeah. And uh, so they're just buying the big share. He doesn't believe in splitting because he wants an exclusive, trustworthy group of of investors. You know that aren't you know, just. Mm -hmm. If you want the, you know, if you want to be a, you want to trade it or you want to be in and out, you're not in it for the long haul. Or you're not sure. Yeah, go buy some Class B. You know, but anyway, <clears throat> there's actually a number of uh, big corporations that have different. You know, there's preferred shares where you can buy. You basically make a deal with a company. So when Berkshire, when Berkshire, when Warren Buffett and Berkshire Hathaway come into a company, they make an agreement with that company. 
beforehand because they're about to move a serious amount of cash over to this company when they invest. And they are investing for the long term. So they get a preferred stock price with preferred dividends. That's contractually there. So he's getting a much sweeter, better deal than any of us are at uh, Berkshire Hathaway. Right. So, but yeah, his number one holding, I, that's what I, I, uh, I, uh, what's I, what did I do? I digressed. Uh, his number one holding, I think, is Apple. Apple Incorporated. Oh, wow. He's got, yeah, he buys as much Apple as possible. You know, <clears throat> so, um, but yeah, he took a spanking. He caught, he caught, he was caught with his pants down majorly with, uh, I believe it's American Airlines is what he was heavily invested in. And he, <sighs> I think it was the day after Cinco de Mayo because I was drinking at my grandmother's and I woke up, you know, for the markets and the, all the news was his weekend interview he had on CNBC or some dude. And he publicly announced that he doesn't see the point in investing in, in airlines. He thinks it's a dead industry because of this coronavirus. There's no point. There's no reason to, to invest in any airlines because of this coronavirus. It's basically wiped them out. It, huh? He thinks that, that he literally thought they were, it was going to be a dying well, industry. People aren't going to. I mean, he said he doesn't see any point in investing or being or holding any any airlines right now during this time or any time in the near future. That was his stance. That's what he was saying. And it's like, oh, okay. But yeah, it, it's it's really difficult to say. Uh, you know, we're in a difficult position. The truth is, without government assistance, uh, most all these airlines are going out of business. They're going bankrupt. Do you want to be holding the bag? Does is the industry itself going to be gone forever? Of course not. No, 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 no. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, why hold a company that's doomed to fail? You banking on government assistance, right? Which you can do, but as a value investor, someone who who buys who buys into verified, proven systems that 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 earn money, that earn cash, earn returns, uh, why would you do that? You're, you're banking on hoping they get a bailout and the bailout is substantial enough to, to thrive, to get them back to where they were essentially, or near, maybe yeah. not back to where, because they, they dropped in value a lot, but they're so heavily traded and, and uh, by speculation and a lot of stuff that they're, they're bouncing all over the place. And that's something he doesn't like either, I'm sure. So he just he just cashed his chips and took a massive loss with American Airlines. I know that. Violating yeah. his his first rule, his sacred first rule. First rule, don't lose money. Well, Warren Buffett, you lost. You took it in the pants over this crash. So suck on that in your first rule. Anyway, so <clears throat> that's about that. Yeah. I respect the yeah. guy and all that. Yeah, he's he's a legend. I get it, but you know. yeah, and yeah, never mind. I, I was gonna say I don't want to go down that rabbit hole. I was gonna say Hawaii Airlines was actually one of the better companies I invested in this year because they went down super low, and I was just like, you know what, this is, dude, this is a great company. I'm like they specialize in going to and from Hawaii. <laughs> I love fly, I love flying with them. I love the company, 
and kind of kind of looked into their, their finances a little bit. Um, but I yeah, invest a little bit. It was you know I wasn't going to get rich off or anything, but I invest a little bit. And they when they were down and they obviously came back up and corrected. And I I sold though. I'm not like I said. I'm not I'm not an investor or a financial manager, so nobody should take my advice on anything. But oh, uh, we're not. We I are sold, not. I, Johnny, trust uh, yeah. me. <laughs> just teasing. Um, no, I sold, and yeah, I just kind of and the place I'm at right now. Anyway, I really shouldn't be investing. It's like I have things that I. I need to pay. So why should I be spending money, you know, essentially gambling when I've got things that I absolutely need to pay? So sure. You know, um, not for me. I mean, yeah, I would say I, I haven't looked into the, the books of Alaskan airlines because, you know, I, I'm not investing and right now. And, and I certainly, um, wouldn't consider investing in an airline of any sort. I mean, if it is being sold at such a discount, you know, then because of, you know, that's what you're supposed to do. You want to take advantage of the overreactions of the marketplace. Marketplace is driven by human emotion. And uh, so you want to take advantage when they, when this, this human emotion overreacts. That's what you saw in, in, in the crash. Not for the crash. It was different. The crash was, People thought when I first saw the, the markets take a hit, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like the first initial, you know, downspurs, like, oh, we closed off trade with China or not trade, but we closed off um, travel with China for the time being. Yeah, it's going to it's going to hit the economy a little bit. If a lot of people catch this this flu like virus, um, that's going to lower productivity, i.e. efficiencies which affects the bottom line of the, of the quarters of this quarter for many companies, you know, because uh, somebody who's got the flu for two weeks, isn't going to be a very good employee. You know, they're probably gonna have to stay home, not work, not produce. And they're also not going to be as good of a consumer. They're staying home. They're not traveling. They're not buying things. They're not going out to eat. There's all sorts of, uh, factors and things that come in. So yes, a pandemic, a, a really bad flu season does affect bottom lines of, of, of an economy for sure, for sure. Would it have been 10% loss of, of equity and value in the marketplace? No, hell no. That's insane. That would have been ridiculous to see 10%, right? And so yeah. when the first 10% spout went down, I'm like, wow, you know, classic overreaction. I wasn't in a position. I wasn't in the position to take care of it. I got, you know, whatever. I, I, I was shorting the markets probably, let's see here. When did I short the markets? I think February, mid-February, I shorted the markets. And I was triple leveraged to do it. And then it was like a couple days later, the Dow Jones Industrial hit an all-time high, breaking a record. And I was like, oh, shit, maybe we're not going to have the pullback that I thought we were going to have. Because all the technicians were saying we were so overdue for a pullback, for a nice little correction in the market. Right. Which would be about 10%, 10-15%. Could be 20 but that would have been a lot. So I was projecting something like that. That would be 30 Excuse me, 30% coming my way. So I did that. <clears throat> and uh, two days later, I second-guessed it because 
we we made a new high. And I it was it was to technicals and it was because the coronavirus was happening. And uh, the administration had already done the travel ban uh, from China or whatever. They limited the tra travel from China. And right. uh, I was just like, eh, you know what? Things are kind of puttering down. This economy has been like a nonstop lo lo locomotive, just keeps on gaining and gaining and gaining and winning, and winning, and winning. And uh, it's got to take a breather. And this just seems like the right quarter to do that. Technicals, fundamentals, all lining up my forecast. So I did it. But then I second guessed it. I said, no, maybe don't people don't give a shit. And then I read some report by Time Magazine or somebody. And they were like, the coronavirus, they figured it out. They know how to treat it. It's, a, you know, like, it's nothing. Don't worry about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, like, it looks like they figured out this coronavirus. They've contained it and they're treating it. And uh, so that won't be an issue. It's not going to come over to our shores, you know, to the United States. And that's another thing. It was, th there's also this idea that it would still affect our economy if it ravages China, this virus. And even if we are, are able to not have it come to the United States, because China's a major supplier for us, you know, mm -hmm. and they, they produce a lot of the goods that we consume. So in, in other parts, so. If their production goes down because we have this global economy, it affects everybody when it's, when it's an economy like China's. So, uh, but anyways, I thought, you know, the little dip we had from the travel shutdown, you know, I guess that that probably made sense. And it looks like we're turning the curve on on uh, on the uh, on this virus thing. And we're, we just broke a new record, you know, so. I decided that I guess people, this this thing could go a lot further. You could wait around for years waiting for a crash. You know, I, I was reminding my father, you know, before the, the real estate crash in 2000, in Sacramento area, the, it peaked. The market peaked in December 2005. And then it started going down and down and down and down and down. So 2006 was the bad year. That's when the crash started in Sacramento. Rest of the country, it's about a year later, year and a half, maybe, mm -hmm. right? Year later. <clears throat> Sacramento was like the second most devastated metro metropolitan area by the by the real estate crash. Wasn't that wasn't wasn't that closer to two thousand eight that that it really dropped or no? Um, no, no. I'm later. talking about the uh, real estate real estate crash. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, so. I'm talking about the real estate crash and um, the, the stock market crash of 2008 began, I think, September 9th, 2008. It's in September er time, September area. Yeah. Gotcha. You know, a lot of the crashes, they happen in October, historically, I think. The two big ones I'm thinking of, the biggest of all time in a single day sell off was October 19th, 1987. They called it Black Monday. And I think that was Black Monday. And then um, the big, big 1929 crash, that happened all in, in late October. Yeah. And then the one in 08, it wasn't October, it was September. So that quarter, that fall, autumn, you know, the, that... Uh, 
that time. That's the spooky time, dude. That's when things could get weird. You know, so <laughs> keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. Very good to keep in mind. Mm-hmm. Yep, 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 yep. So there's, uh, where was I? I? I guess I've been digressing so much about all this bullshit. Oh, oh, you can wait around. And back to the Great Depression, or the, the stock market crash in 1929. There was a dude uh, faint, who famously predicted the crash, but he'd been predicting it, for, predicting it for the last three years. And if he had been shorting the market, say, for three years, he would have lost his ass long, long time ago, you know, before ever cashing in for being predicted. Yes. Will the market crash again? You betcha. Question is, when will it happen? It's all about the timing. And uh, it was like, if you've seen that movie, The Big Short, with my, uh, Christian Bale yeah. plays Michael Burry. And this guy was the first guy yeah. to really see this, this these um, uh, mortgage-backed securities, MBSs, start to really hit the fan, shit hit the fan. And that was, that was that. It's really starting to shit. It was really starting to hit the fan. You can see it. Nobody else's, um, nobody else could see it, I guess, or was really concerned or I don't know. Nobody in the, in the prominent finance uh, situation was really paying attention. Maybe they were just ostriches head in the sand. They were too scared. They didn't want to face the reality because they're all way, 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 way in too deep. Because the mortgage-backed security, I believe, was a was a brand new financially engineered product, you know, that wasn't used before, where they grouped all these mortgages from these banks into a single security, right? And you had different classes of mortgages, and so you could buy, like, you know, you could buy, like, okay, I'll buy this. Uh, Class A, Class Double A, Class Triple A. That's the very best. Well, Class A apparently were a bunch of drug addicts buying, you know, houses with no money down and with horrible credit, you know, and uh, they were right. doomed to fail once the balloon payment was was due. People were buying these houses because they were told, "Hey, you know, uh, there is going to be a balloon payment." Adjusted, adjusted mortgage rate, but here's the beauty of it. And a year from now, you could pay this. You could pay the $800 a month or whatever, right? It's like, oh, yeah, I could pay that. Well, when the balloon payment comes and it's going to skyrocket it up to 3000 a month, your payment, just sell the house. And a year from now, all the property, you know, you're estimated to, ha to, to make 5% of the property. That's like thirty grand in your pocket, you know? And so, like, oh, wow. How many houses is like get as many houses as you want, dude, you know, as many as you can afford. And so, so many people were doing that. And people, it was this, in the lending industry, it was like this honor system, wink, wink, uh, uh, scrutiny they had where they weren't like, they just took you at your word for whatever money you said you had. Like, how much you make this year? Oh, I made a hundred thousand. Okay, cool. They'd write it down. They wouldn't check it. They wouldn't verify it. They don't look for pay stubs or, or your 1099, you know? And uh, when you're doing shit like that, 
really dangerous. Now, why would a lending institution ever give money to people without verifying their ability to pay it back? Well, they were heavily subsidized by the, the federal government. They knew their asses were covered. So Miles will take advantage of that and make the freaking money, man. Make all that cash. Yeah. So you have to be careful as a government when you meddle into a free market that you don't disincentivize good behavior and incentivize bad behavior. And, uh, you know, because it's people talk about greed, 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 greed. And greed is such an ambiguous term. It's like you're getting more than you than you deserve. You're getting you're you're wanting more than you deserve. You're wanting more than you need. Well, how much do you need? Well, you know, there's a lot of people who can live like most of us could live. There, there's a famous uh, uh, saint, Saint Anthony of Padua, I think, Padua, and he was the hermit. He was born into this is probably fourth, fifth century, sixth, maybe I don't know. Somewhere before, before, uh, you know, the Crusades and all this. Uh, <clears throat> but he was born into a family of extreme wealth and opulence. And as soon as he inherited his, his all, the properties and all, all these holdings, he gave it away to charity. Or at least liquidated it and gave the proceeds to charity. And then he lived his life a hermit just wandering without a home and uh, his faith and trust in the Lord sustained him essentially. And yeah, he lived a long life. And right. I mean, this guy is like, Whoa, you know, he did that. So that guy was able to survive with very little. You know, so do uh, the average American, do you need your iPhone or is that greed that you have an iPhone? Because to get that iPhone, you need to, you know, those sweatshops in China. There's basically modern day slavery to, to, to get it to you into your hands at that reduced at that reduced price. So think think about that for a second, Mister Mister High and Mighty. And is the iPhone a reduced price? Though? It, <laughs> They're so eight hundred bucks. I was looking at it. I think there's so many different parts that come to it, that you're right, that the actual assembly of it is very low cost uh, compared to how much you're paying into it. Yeah. And that doesn't, that doesn't, which is actually kind of upsetting. It's like, well, why are we involving this, basically this, this, this modern day slavery, right? As people might look at it. I mean, it's kind of fucked up in certain facets. It depends if it's those uh, that group in China, the they're they're a Muslim group or whatever, they're being heavily uh, persecuted right now in China. They're being imprisoned. They're having their families taken away. From, you're getting taken away from families. They're aborting your babies. They're murdering them in some cases. I think executing, and they're basically they're they're in sweatshops. They're forced to work against their will, right? The I can't think of their names right now. Is it the I get the hooey? Oh wow, you're such a racist piece of shit. Hold on, um, Chinese Muslim. How, huh? What? What? 
how am I racist for saying that? I thought it might actually be the who or the who. H Chinese H-U-I. Muslim people. Who? Okay. The Uyghurs. The Uyghurs. Ah. If I, I think I'm pronouncing it correctly. I think they must be descendant from the Jelnooks from a long time ago. The point I was getting at before is greed is a highly ambiguous term. And I simply look, if you, if you're, I look at it as self-preservation. If your efforts towards self-preservation get to a point where you are now committing an immoral act or doing something immoral, then it becomes greed. Now you're compromising your morality. You're, 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 you know, you're violating that. You're violating the rights of somebody else. Now that's, that's that effort towards self-preservation. That could be to survive or thrive, really thrive, whatever is, it's become greed. Now you've taken it to a dark place that, that we shouldn't have, that you shouldn't have done. So that's kind of how I look at greed. As long as you're not doing anything immoral, make all the make all the money you want, and you can. That's a good thing, and uh, you know, become as wealthy as you possibly can. <sighs> wealth begets more wealth, you know. And I I, be, I believe yeah. that wealth trickles down and poverty trickles up. That's what I think. Yeah. Huh. So. I don't think wealth necessarily makes people happy, though. Which I think, which I've definitely gone down that. Not. uh Gone down, gone down, you know, thinking, oh, if I just chasing the carrot, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, if if I just had this much money, I'd, I'd, everything would be so much easier. If I just got that or if I just had this house or if I just had that car and it's like, dude, some of the like one of my good friends, I don't think you ever met him. He's he's old, lives in San Diego. He's one of my good buddies. He's in his 50s and just never really cared about making a bunch of money. Never thought he'd make a bunch of money. And he. You know, he, he does all right. He's not broke, but he's one of the happiest guys I know because he has gratitude. Like he's got a smaller house in San Diego, but he's stoked that he even owns a house in San Diego. He's like, dude, I never thought in my life I would own a house in San Diego. He's like the the, the crash in 2009. He's like was amazing for me because I was able to buy this house, this four hundred twenty thousand dollar house for like two hundred grand. And now he's got a house that he can afford in San Diego until he ever wants to get rid of it. But he's also, he's just happy. He just does what he likes to do. He does it on his own accord. And he, 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 uh, he lives on less than he makes. Pretty, pretty simple. Well, that's fantastic. I don't know what else to say, dude. Um, no, that's great. No, no, (laughs) no, it really is about gratitude. (laughs) It's the secret to happiness. It's pretty straightforward. And I guess I don't know why I was so passionate about that. I think it's because I, I've seen more and more people, especially as we've gotten to this pandemic or just, you know, get to know people more in general, how many people I know that are actually in debt and not in like, oh, yeah, I got three grand I owe. It's like, no, they they own a, tens of thousands of dollars in debt, whether it's student loans or credit cards. It's like, oh, my God, how are you ever going to pay that off? <laughs> or what made you think that you never had to pay that back kind of a thing, you know? Like, was that really, were those really necessities you were buying or is that just stuff that you wanted to buy at the time and you didn't really need? So I don't know. It's, it's an interesting topic. For me. Yeah. Um, 
No, it, it goes back. It goes back. Gratitude. gratitude. The, 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 the hermit. The hermit. The saint dude. I mean, yeah, he, he lived a, a life of gratitude. You know, he wasn't. He chose yeah. to give away all his wealth. It wasn't taken from him. And because uh, he was grateful just to exist and to to perpetuate love and, and understand God, right? And, and to build and develop his relationship with his creator. So, and, and in turn, try to uh, understand a higher purpose in, a, in an existence beyond these trivialities in our material realm. And uh, so, anyway, but yeah, uh, that's the yeah the markets. You can wait around forever for a crash, and they may may never come. Burry, Michael Burry, right? Uh, he l- looked at the mortgage-backed securities, knew the shit was going to hit the fan. Had to, had to. So he went to Goldman Sachs, I think, uh, designed and engineered his own security to short the mortgage-backed securities. I think I think Goldman Sachs was like, sure, dude, fine. We'll sign this deal with you. You know, because for, for as long as you hold that contract, you have to pay to keep it going when you short something. Okay. So it's costing him money every quarter for, or I don't know how... how how he's installing payments to keep that contract valid. But I want the right to sell these mortgage-backed securities to you people, Goldman Sachs, this amount. Okay, so let's say you get 10 mortgage-backed security uh, shares of triple A, okay? And uh, Mm -hmm. they're valued in total at, Let's just say $1 billion he bought. Or let's say $100 million. Uh, Maybe he got $10 million. I don't know. Valued at. So each each one of these shares is valued at a million. And he went, to, uh, he went to Goldman Sachs and he said, hey, I want the right to buy 10 of these. They're valued, and the, the right to sell them, I want the right to sell 10 of these shares. Okay? You're going to reserve 10 of these shares for me to sell. Okay? At $1 million for the next year and I get to buy in at market price whenever I need to. So if it stops being at a million dollars per one of those shares and it drops down to a half a million, he gets to buy those 10 shares at a half a million apiece, costing him 5 million, then turn around and sell those 10 shares at 10 million to Goldman Sachs and Goldman Sachs has to pay him the $10 million, right? If it happens within that contractual time right. period, the, the, yeah, the contract, and so he makes effectively he doubles the money he invests, which would be five million in this case. So, um, so that's kind of what he did, but he did it on a much bigger scale than dealing with ten million dollars. I think he put, I think he put everything. He put everything. His entire he had a he was running a hedge fund, and he put his entire like a vast bulk of his monies in that thing and it was bleeding him dry for a long time because the markets weren't crashing like they should be all the fundamentals are pointing to it they have to go down if they weren't you know you had steve carell who bought into this shit later 
his character and they were running around and going to the credit agencies, I think standard and poor's and was like, what the fuck are you doing? You know, how could you give these things a triple a rating still, you know, <laughs> they're dog shit and they're going bankrupt. Yeah. All, you know, all these people are going, all these mortgages are going bad within the, these mortgage backed securities. And, uh, it's because people, when they're, when you got a bubble going and people are so heavily invested, that means the vast majority of, of people involved in the markets are in, they're in this baby. They're heavily invested. Some of them have, have come in late, right? And they, they bought into the train. And uh, most of the people who kind of see the, the bubble popping, they've already gotten their cash out. You know, they're not buying back in. But uh, people, yeah, they, they, they hang on with their fingernails, man, to, to a market before it crashes. You know, they don't want to see it crash. A lot of people, but when it finally does and the bubble bursts, it, it's there is a whole range of reactions and emotions and the psychology of what the average investor goes through during a crash, which is what I went through, right? And I'll actually bring it up because it's kind of funny to laugh at. Let's see here emotions experienced during market crash. Okay, here we go. So you buy in, all right? You buy in at a stock when it's on its way up. You have optimism. It keeps going up. You have excitement. It keeps going up. You have thrill. It keeps going up. You have euphoria. That's where it peaks, right? And it starts to go down. Anxiety goes down even more. Denial down even more. Fear more depression, more to panic, five capit capitulation, six despondency. That's kind of, well, that's not the one I read because that's just the five stages of grief. <clears throat> Maybe it's this one. Hope. It's, yeah, it's funny because it's like a cycle. It's like a cycle. Let's see here. Hope, a recovery is possible. Okay, so this is that this is when it starts to build from the last crash. Then it starts to go up and then there's optimism. This rally is real. Belief. Time to get fully invested. Thrill. I will buy more on margin. Got to tell everyone to buy. Euphoria. I am a genius. We're all going to be rich. It goes starts to go down. Uh complacency. We just need to cool off for the next rally. Keep, it goes down even more. Anxiety. Why am I getting uh, margin calls? This dip is taking longer than expected. Denial. My investments are with great companies. They will come back. <laughs> He's going down panic. Shit. Everyone is selling. I need to get out. Keeps going down. Capitulation. I'm getting 100% out of the markets. I can't afford to lose anymore. Keeps going down a little bit less now, but it keeps it's bottoming out more. Anger. Who's short at the market? Why did the government allow this to happen? <laughs> and then it, it's kind of leveling out, flat, dead, down some more. Depression. My retirement money is lost. How can we pay for all this new stuff? I am an idiot. And then uh, 
and then it starts going up again a little bit, and then it says disbelief. This is a sucker's rally, which is a bull trap. So, which I thought the the rally, the V shape recovery, the V shape uh, upswing that we experienced, I mean, the markets are higher than they were before the right. crash. But yeah, I thought when it first started, I was like, this is a bull trap. There's zero reason why. First of all, I, I miscalculated the stimulus package. That was my fatal flaw in how I managed this, uh, the crash. But um, I was one zero off because I, my calculator couldn't read the, you know, into the trillions. And so <laughs> I tried to do how many zeros were in my head and I was off by one zero. And I was like, this isn't enough to, to, to prop up our economy for, the, for three months. And it ended up being like, I, I realized my mistake later. I'm like, wait a minute, th this doesn't, I think I'm off on it. And I recalculated and I figured, I, f I found I was, oh, actually, yeah, it, it, it is enough to prop up our economy for about three months. The, the two point, what, you know, two trillion or whatever we infused. And uh, that being said, was it perfectly allocated to how the markets would have done it? Hell no. Hell no. And with that, the, the inefficiencies would make sure that, you know, there would be some losses there. But, you know, it definitely helps. It should have some effect. Right. Uh, so I, I looked at it. I'm like, these people are fucking idiots. This is a big bull trap you're buying into. You're all going to get caught with your pants down again. Because that usually that's usually what happens in major crashes. There usually is a massive pullback, but then it goes down again. And it goes down even further. Right. And those people get really fucked. It's like, you're a little too optimistic. Be careful. And uh, not this time. This one went straight up. There was no bull trap in this, in this, uh, in this recovery, which is quite staggering. But, <clears throat> but usually there is a bull trap. <laughs> anyway, <clears throat> so that was my worst moment of 2020 was the stock market crash. My best was my trip to New Orleans, and I'm not going to get into the dirty details. But that was, I'm not saying the duty necessarily. Not, I'm not neither confirming nor denying. I'm just saying I really enjoyed that trip. And that was the last time I was able to travel anywhere, you know, for pleasure, really. And um, right. I had never been to New Orleans before. Don't think I'll go back. I think, uh, <laughs> one, I believe I was ground zero for coronavirus for the entire city of New Orleans and Chicago. But, uh, um, I just say I, I don't feel safe back in that city, going back to that city again. I don't think I'll go back. And, uh, because of the Unrelated to the pandemic, I, I just, uh, you know, there uh, might be a price on my head in New Orleans. I don't know, but I'm not going back there anytime soon. What, what do you <laughs> owe somebody money? No, it's not exactly. No, but again, I'm not getting into it. It was a, it was a great time though. I had a blast. Um, it's, it's kind of like, uh, it's kind of like Las Vegas in the sense that it is the, it is a party town. Like Las Vegas is a party town. It's a party town, 24, seven, 365, you know, which is for me a day like today on a normal year that isn't pandemic riddle, uh, rattled or riddled, whatever. Um, I, that's the last place I'd really want to go. I wouldn't say the last place, but I don't see the point in going to Las Vegas on New Year's Eve because it will be insanely packed and I don't necessarily want that. 
But it's always a party in Las Vegas. It's always a party. And you're going to go there on the biggest partying day when everybody is partying? Where you can go enjoy a city that normally doesn't party, but now now it is today, you know? And check that out. So um, that being said, like there are some special cities that are known for New Year's Eve that are pretty like New York City's known for New Year's Eve. San Francisco's known for their New Year's Eve. Hong Kong, I believe. My dream, and I want I want to ask you that question too. What's what's your best like? What's if you had all the money in the world, how would you celebrate? What would be your favorite, most exciting, best way to celebrate New Year's Eve? My favorite, best way to celebrate. Okay, huh? That's a tough one because uh, I'm kind of a I'm kind of Debbie Downer when it comes to uh, when it comes to uh, celebrating and that kind of a thing. But you know what? One of the funnest times of my of my life out partying and doing the like clubs and stuff like that, which I, I normally do not like doing is uh, when I went to Ibiza. So I'd probably do something like that again. Go to Ibiza, spend uh, New Year's Eve there with, with like a group of friends. I'd want to take like a group of friends, you know, hey, this person, this person, this person, this person, and just go all expenses paid by me or whoever the hell and uh, kind of have a ball, do whatever you the said? hell we want to do. Uh, Ibiza, yeah. Ibiza. 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 You know. Ibiza. Ibiza. It depends it's, on it's how a you... lispy sound. Spain's so Ibiza. weird, dude. Some of them pronounce it. Yeah, yeah. Some of them pronounce it Ibiza. You know, Cadiz. like Cadiz. Some people say Cadiz. So South South Spain, they abbreviate a lot of stuff instead of saying um, uh, what do they say? Like um, adios. They say uh, adio. They just drop the we'll s. Do similar so kind of situation. Kind of how they how they do their dialects. Yeah, yeah. We all have our own for sure. Yeah. Hmm? But uh, what? Have, what about you? What would you well, do the I would, most ideal? Yeah, uh, I would get a group of, you know, an entourage, you know, a group of people, private jet. I would celebrate two New Year's Eves in one year. So I'd do the first one at Hong Kong or Tokyo, ball drops, whatever, party, then hop on the plane and sleep it off on the flight back to San Francisco, Seattle, or LA, one of those three West Coast cities, and celebrate it all over again. Yeah, twice. Oh, be fun. Twice in one year. That'd be fucking legendary. That would be the best. Hey, I mean, I mean, I don't even need to have a private jet to yeah. necessarily do that. There's probably some flights that'll pull it off. Be expensive, balls. Definitely. Oh yeah. For oh, shizzle. Yeah. But yeah, man. Well, any plans for, for this evening? You say you have something you're doing or you just kind of... Um, yeah, I, I'm just, you know, just drinking, I guess, you know, doing my thing. Nothing, nothing crazy. Like I said, I didn't want to get into it, but uh, yeah, it's about... Uh, I'm not going to get into it too much, but yeah, just drinking. Just just know that I'll be enjoying myself this uh, this this morrow and as I try to yeah um every year normally I would do I'm good I would go somewhere I wouldn't do it here in Monterey you wouldn't yeah it's kind of it seems like every time I come visit it's kind of a 
an older crowd yeah. where it's like a quieter place to go relax. Monterey is for the newlywed or the nearly dead. So, yeah. I would, I just, <laughs> hey, really? I, I feel like I've said this on the, on the uh, podcast. Huh. No, I don't yeah. think you ever have. Yeah, that's pretty, pretty much it. Not a lot going on over here on New Year's Eve, uh, especially during the pandemic. I think, I know at least when I was just in Sacramento um, last week around Christmas, there were places still open. Oh, sorry. Really had to go. You Ease the lemon. of a bitch. I'm leaving that. Yeah, do it. I'm leaving What's that. What's your favorite term for, for having a leak? I just said squeeze the lemon. What's another one? Squeeze the lemon. Uh, guy I used to work with used to always say oh, you had to go drain the main vein. I was kind of like that. Although I don't, I don't the, know how it's drained. It's a vein. It's one big fat vein. And, you know, you're that's pretty. I think that's pretty. Perhaps you know, obvious. Personal. But I don't know. Maybe I'm nuts. <laughs> I just, I just say. I, I can say piss. Generally, yeah. The restroom. I guess it depends. Uh, yeah, like, yeah, the little boys' room. I like that one. And, uh, yeah. yeah like, I try not to fall in, you know. That's a good one. That's a good one. Like, I don't want to fall in while taking a piss. That may sound like I'm sitting down. No, while I'm standing, I don't want to fall in to the toilet. Because it's really heavy. How do you fall in me, You know, I might topple. No, I'm joking. No, because uh, you're drunk and, you know, I don't know. Jesus, the joke. It's stupid. It doesn't work at all. Um, so, fun. Let's ask those two questions. Highlight, low light, 2020. Your turn. Um... <clears throat> Um, you know, low light honestly would be, um, this year, Kalen and I had a, had a miscarriage after the pandemic started. And that was, it, it's so weird. Cause I don't like, I don't know. I, I don't have any kids now, but, um, it's, it's so weird. Cause it's like, you know, the baby was never here. So I kind of always wondered like, how would I feel about that? And I think it was more so just the emotional drain of everything else going on, things shutting down, things opening up. But also just the fact of us kind of being nervous and excited and all all those emotions to be pregnant and kind of like, you know, at, at first more more nervous. Um, and then to have that just to kind of kind of get it like shut down, like, oh, we'll cancel those plans. You're kind of just like, well, fuck, what else can happen this year, you know? <laughs> and not, not to sound like I'm having a pity party because plenty of people had a way worse year and, and you know. I'm sure I got worse news as you. Wait, wait, on, wait. I, let's the highlight not gloss is, over your low light uh, that quickly. My goodness, John. And I, I am happy that we both started with the bad shit and then we're ending with the positive. But uh, uh, interesting. Your low light would be most men's highlight of the year. Like, man, I just escaped that one. Whew, you know? And <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I was just watching. I was just watching the the five year engagement last night. Okay, Chris Pratt, you know? is, is Chris Pratt the five year engagement? I thought it was Jason Segel. 
It is, and his oh, uh, the okay. other chef, yeah. his buddy is Chris Pratt. But he's talking about being pregnant. He's like, when I first heard, he's like, and he's in the hospital, like his wife just had the baby, and he's he's in the, he's like, when I first heard she was pregnant, I was like, there's no way you were having this baby. <laughs> I was just like dying laughing. He's like, and even later on, he's like, I'm cool with it. And later on, I'm still like, where can we give this baby to? He's like, but now I'm having a baby. And Jason Siegel's character is finally like, hey man, let's go in the hospital room and meet your daughter. Meet your, <laughs> <Okay>. your kid. <laughs> it's just. <laughs> cracked me up. He's like, there's no way you're having this yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't, I have that one's, uh, I get that one's lost on me. I guess I have to see that moment. I don't think you conveyed it very well. I think you're kind of a shit actor, but no, I'm I didn't. I'm joking. I, That's I the low light of your 2020. You just yeah. demolish me there. Man. No, uh, it's yeah. Cause I was, cause my acting career was really going to take off after yeah, what that. About, what about holding on to dreams um, later in life? How about that idea? You know, do six-year-olds, do seven-year-olds, do eighty-year-olds? Do they still fantasize about a dream? Do they still hold on to a dream about what they want from life, or what you know, or do they just kind of like become contented and, and it's it's like okay, I, I did it, or it's too late. And now my life is about not dying or trying to stick around as long as possible. Or it's about, like, I want to make sure I make the best yeah, that's a- dinners possible. I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to think here. Like I'm best model airplanes, you know, some kind of, you know, sh- ships in a bottle. Some people get obsessed. The elderly, they get to pick up a hobby, but it is interesting. There comes a point where I think the dreams yeah. of your youth die. And you become more realistic or complacent or not. You go the other direction. You become depressed yeah. and you off yourself. Um, but yeah. I, uh, yeah. That is a good question. And what about, what about the other person that does the, like, like let's say the person that, that follows their dreams and, you know, they check all the boxes, but in the meantime, they, they kind of, they don't spend enough time for their family and their friends and all the other things they, you know, they pick the mm-hmm. career person, the career man or the career woman. That's like, well, I wish I would have had a family. And what would that have been like? I think somebody that's going to regret their, their life choices um, is either going to regret them or they're hmm. not. If that makes sense. Like you're either going to be like, this, this is the way I live my life. And, and I'm glad I did. And I wouldn't want it any other way. Or, you're going to sit and say, well, what that, what if that would have been like, or, or I wish I would have spent more time with my kids. I wish I would have had a career where I was home more. I wish, I wish I wasn't chasing the next film and I was, you know, I, thinking, teaching my kids to I play baseball. I think Sylvester that, Stallone is a pretty happy know. dude today. That's all I know. And he, he chased his dreams, <laughs> went after it 110% and achieved them. And he didn't give a fuck about his family all the while. Okay. They follow him wherever he goes while he runs and he is, doing great okay uh so go fuck yourself now people people who accomplish things and <laughs> no no you I'm asked joking. me I'm just and i'm joking about <laughs> sylvester salon i'm sure he's a great family man and all that uh i know he has daughters yeah i think he has daughters and yeah god yeah, bless him that's all, that's all daughters, if yeah. i were to have kids and if i could choose i would want exclusively daughters no, no sons, no boys, please. Enough boys in my clan. I'll tell you that right now. There's too many in the Shermer clan. Uh, but 
and, and plus I don't like boys. I like, I like girls more. So anyway, um, <clears throat> what were we talking about? How did I lose it? Sylvester Stallone, super successful, chased his dreams. Those who do, oh, long-term satisfaction, happiness with achievement. So it's really big, you know, uh, you, you know, he know he, a guy like Sylvester Stallone or somebody who, who sets out to do, you know, have goals and achieves them lives without regret more or less. I, I would think, you know, there is that idea if they didn't have a family, cause that's the one thing. If you were a career man with the goals and you said, no, I don't want family, you put it off. And then you do achieve your goals and you're like, wow, who do I have to share this with? I'm, I'm all by my own. Then you might have that. Or of course you do have the successful, like head football coaches are notorious for this. Their kids are shit or shit heads. You know, most of like Andy, Andy Reed's kid committed suicide. That's awful. And he was tr struggling with drug, oh, drug addiction. People shit. speculate it's because he was so consumed with his football coaching career that, you know, he didn't spend a whole lot of time with his boy. And, and that had deficits for his son's life in the end, you know, not having a dad. Uh, yeah. So there is someone like that. The guy has won a Super Bowl. He's one of the all time successful NFL head coaches, but does he regret? Would he take back his Super Bowl ring to have his son still alive? And, and not only that, but to have a good, healthy, loving, reciprocated, enjoyable relationship with his son. I would like to think he would. And so I, I, I've always believed that family is number one. Take care of family and friends first. That's, that's the priority in life. And everything else, whatever you do, will take care of it. Don't, don't, don't screw up that priority list as far as what, what needs to be at the top. And, um, but yeah, for those who don't have sons, who don't have children, yeah, I guess there's that. You, you achieve everything, you get nothing. It's different for men than it is for women. I remember the story. Sam, his freshman year at college, his first roommate in the dorm room. Uh, he was 18, 19 years old. Mm -hmm. His dad was helping him move in. His dad had the fucking Holocaust tattoo on his wrist. He was a Holocaust survivor. He was like fucking 80 something. There was 90s shit moving his 18, 19 year old son. Oh, wow. So he was like 70 or something like that. Finally, you know, he had this boy. So it's never too late for, for a man. Like if your seed's good and it doesn't go bad, considering that, like you can still as a, as a, as a man have a kid until the day you die. So it's literally, it really is like, it's never too late for Maybe you as a man to turn died. that around and say, wow, I always wish I had a family. I screwed it up. It's like, well, you can start now, dude. Oh, I won't be as good of a father as I, as I would have been in my forties when I had more energy. That's true. But you know, there's no use in kind of dwelling in that I would say. And there are other things that you will be far better at as a much more experienced man than you would have been as a younger man, you know? as a father um you won't be there to see the grandkids if he ever has them that sucks i'm sure and uh so they're, they're, it's complicated but everybody makes their choices 
and not everybody has children. Not, everybody, not everybody's able to have children. And, um, but I would say that that does tend to be right. the singular focus of the average human being that's ever existed is children, making sure you have kids and preparing them for, for life so they can go on and perpetuate life more and, and pass on the genes more, pass on your DNA to the next generation. That's why we're, we, we get on the, the hamster wheel. That's why we get up in the morning. That's why we, we are so consumed with sex, even you could argue, is because that's how we literally make the babies. And, and it's just programmed, pre-programmed biologically in our, in our systems that we have these, this urge that we need to do this. We need to do it constantly. It never ends because it's so fucking important, right? So if we can trick our brains right. into thinking we don't need it, we don't need to have families. We don't need to have children. You know, I'm just going to use the sex thing for my own pleasure. You know, but in the end, what's the root of all of it? What's the purpose? Yeah. That being said, you're talking to somebody who's, who doesn't really want to have children. I'm not saying never, never. I, I've learned that. I can't say ne ne never say never, but I'm not all crazy about it. I'll tell you that right now. So, uh, I'm not planning anytime soon either. And that's the, that's the advantage of, of someone, a male like myself versus a woman, a woman, my age, um, you're, you're on a biological clock to time clock ticking, you know, it's ticking, tick, tick, tick. It, it is. I, I'm not, I'm not saying to be a dickhead. It's just the reality of the situation and whether you face it or not, it will become apparent. That you're gonna, it's, you're not gonna be able to have kids at one day, at one point. It's gonna, it'll be over for you. It'll be done, as a woman, and that's that. You know, that's that. It's over. And so, if you come to that realiz realization later in life that oh fuck, I should have had kids. What was I thinking? I'm gonna be this old lady who cuts her hair really short. Right, because every old lady cuts her hair really short because they give up on trying to, 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 to have the long hair and be as presentable as possible. The opposite sex, because they lose sexual, <laughs> they lose value in the sexual marketplace dramatically once you pass that 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 age where you can't have children anymore. And it's not a coincidence that it's like that. And it seems like it's opposite. As men get older, they become more attractive to the opposite sex. Oh yeah, but well, it's you and me. I think that's what, you prefer uh, kind of a young Sean Connery or Sean Connery when he was sixty-four? Apparently, according to the world, they liked him at sixty-four because that's when he got sexiest man alive. What the fuck, right? You not to say he was sexy as hell huh. when he was younger. Of course he was. He always has been. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, it's. You can improve your sexual marketplace value as a man as you get older. Where with a woman, it's it, no, it's virtually impossible. Virtually impossible. You peak at, at that age, whatever it is. Some women, it's a little older. Some, it's a little younger. And but it's around that that ballpark. And then once it's over, it's over. And then all of a sudden. You're not getting cat calls. You're not getting the attention you used if to like. If we had, 
and nobody's like pining to be with you. And so you better have children. Otherwise you're going to have nobody in your life who gives a damn. Right. And so. If we had any female, uh, hey, you know what? I love women more than anything. This is a, <laughs> this is this is just a tough truth. I'm just trying to be upfront and honest. I'd rather not. You might you might argue. You might not like to hear it, but it, it is just a simple biological fact. And again, my favorite women in the world are women like my mother, my grandmother. You know, they're way, you know, they're pastor. I'm not looking for that though. Uh, obviously with that, I mean, this is fucking weird point is that I, I, I'm just being honest. This isn't about me. This isn't my opinion. Uh, this is, this isn't an opinion thing to me. This isn't like, Oh, I value women who are older, who are younger. No, 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 no. That's not me personally. I don't feel that way personally. I don't, but generally speaking, it's just the reality of how the sexual marketplace works. And the one thing, if you're going to choose a market, if you're going to talk about a marketplace, you have to understand that you have no control over it. You can't manipulate it to how you want it to go or what way, you know, how they value things. It's done by, it's done by the mob and committee anonymously nearly. So, um, and, and it's the most brutally honest um, decider of values, if you will, and purist that, that, that possibly can be. So, uh, I, am just, I, 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 I'm not putting this to direct this at, at young women to, Hey, get your shit together and make sure I'm not saying you, if you decide not to have children, you want to go career focused that you, you won't regret. I'm not saying you automatically regret that. No, 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 no. And, uh, there's more to life, of course, but these are certain realities and as long as you know what you're getting yourself into and you're aware of them, and that's the most important part, you know, I mean, could you imagine my mother or your mother or anybody's mother, if they didn't have children, you know, where would they be in life? Would they be happier? Would they be sadder? And, uh, I don't know, you know, I know they don't regret us, right? I hope not, but, and maybe they had at one point regretted having us. But I think by the time they, they reach a certain time and age, you know, you're pretty, pretty grateful for your kids that they're around, that they're perpetuating. And, and it, you right. know, you get to watch them do it. Your life is like watching, like, oh, they're doing this and you're making sure and you're invested in them making the right choices and getting in the right careers and getting with the right person to spend their life with. And then they have kids and then you're, you want to make sure those kids do the same thing and that they don't screw up and those kids like, you know, you did to them. But, um, I mean, yeah, you don't, you don't get that when you're, if you're a career woman, a career guy too, you don't have kids because there's no guarantee if I'm a 78 year old dude who's all career driven that I'm going to get some, some lady to agree to have a kid with me, you know, probably not. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be far more difficult. Right. But, right. Um, which brings me to our next, our next uh, topic, gold diggers. I was watching this movie. I love Sandra Bullock, right? It was two weeks notice <laughs> with Hugh Grant. Uh-huh. You know that one? 
I know of the movie. I've never seen it, but I know the yeah, like yeah, I know yeah. of it. I can uh, picture the cover. Oh, by the way, for the record, yeah, I have so many friends, so many women friends that are way that are past menopause, just because I'm in real estate here in Monterey, and the average colleague is exactly that: is a woman past, you know, past menopause. That's the average employee, and so I love them. I have so much fun. They're, they're great, huh? And just just for the record, I, I fu- oh me just too. For the record, me too. I find a lot of that too. I do find personal personal. So I just want to personal. I that. do find a lot of older women attractive. They're the most incredible woman, who's like near sixty years old. I can't believe it. She's so beautiful. Me Ming Na Wen, Ming Na Wen is like near sixty. She looks fucking thirty five. No, she's an actress. She's an actress. I just watched her recently because she was in, somebody like she's in the Mandalorian. Like she plays the sharpshooter oh. lady. No. Okay. Uh, Never seen it. But uh, no, I'll look it up. Yeah, It'll be a lookup. No, I'm she, sure if people, you'd be shocked if you if you knew her. She's actually like, I think so. she's, let me just look up and confirm her age. I was always shocked. Maybe she isn't. Yeah. Maybe she isn't. Yeah. 60, but. Oh yeah, so she's. I like my she woman is like I like my cars old and broke it, broken. Broken down. She's fifty-seven fucking years old. She's born in Macau, it looks, but wow. just incredible, incredible beauty, and just stunning, stunning beauty. And she's fifty-seven years old, right? Yeah, you know. And no, so I do, I do find plenty of older women. It's not saying that you can't and all that. Come on, go out and get it. Have fun. Live your life. Be beautiful. So, but I'm talking in generalities about the sexual marketplace, the harsh realities. That's all I was talking about. Not personal opinions or, or preferences or anything like that. Back to what we were talking about. Now that's full disclosure because that's, that's the God honest truth with me. But uh, what were we talking about before? We do want. We do uh, need your highlight one, lows, but we were we were going down something else. About, where was the rabbit hole? Oh, uh, we started talking about. Uh, so I think somehow, no, 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 no. That was so much earlier. Was it was it wealth and Sylvester Stallone? No, 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 no. Ch- was, oh, we, families, you, families, and children. Gold diggers. That's what we're talking about. Two weeks notice. Gold diggers. Yes. Let me finish this one. Ah, up. Gold diggers, we'll talk yeah, about gold notice. diggers. Yep. And then. Yep. Then we'll move on. We'll get back to your highlights. That's, this will be our podcast. It'll be beautiful. Okay. Try to be as concise as possible. Gold Diggers. Watching two weeks notice. Sandra Bullock. Hugh Grant. Hugh Grant plays like a, a Donald Trump-like playboy of Manhattan real estate mogul dude. Okay. And he's Hugh Grant. You know, he's witty. He's charming. He's boyishly handsome and and also annoying in that way or whatever. He's, 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 a little, he's irresponsible in his own little thing, whatever. Um, then you have Sandra Bullock, super politically active um, and, and globally conscientious, high-powered lawyer or, you know, legal mind or whatever, went to Harvard, highly intelligent, but she dedicates her life to helping others. And so she's a pro bono lawyer. And then she tries to stop buildings from getting old historic buildings with co- uh, cultural and community significance from getting demolished. Well, 
Uh, there's one community center at the Coney Island that she wants to save. So she tries to go to one of the moguls. She went to Trump. Trump wouldn't hear the other big moguls, you know, have a restraining order against her because she harasses them constantly about the terrible shit they do to, to her city. And so she, she goes to Hugh Grant <clears throat> and tries to beseech him or, or offer him a deal uh, to, if she, if he saves the Coney Island Community Center, she'll help uh, and whatever with the, this building project that they want done there instead somewhere else. And Hugh Grant happens to need, need a chief legal counsel, a new lawyer who's like the, the, the one who's ahead of all the lawyers. And when you're at a big real estate firm, it's a lot of property law you have to go through, drawing up contracts, all that stuff, avoiding getting lawsuits constantly or throwing lawsuits. So it's actually a big job. And he always likes to hire beautiful women for chief counsel. And they're usually going to some online law school and they're useless. And his older brother who's the real boss. Like you got to hire someone. I want like a Harvard degree, Yale, something like that. And so he, he, he finds out she wants, she goes to Harvard, obviously Sandra Bullock's a beautiful woman, hires her and he uses her eventually to make every single decision in life. What tie to wear, you know, the first thing is like, what envelope should I pick? Eee. And she makes a decision for him because she's super decisive. She makes a decision. She doesn't pussyfoot around. They have a great repartee, whatever. They fall in love. But she gives her two, it's called two weeks notice because she can't work for him anymore. She, he calls an emergency and gets her out of this wedding where she was a maid of honor in. And when, by the time she gets there, she finds out the emergency was just, to help him pick out a suit because he was going to go on television. Right. And she's like, I can't do this. You're done. I'm done. You know, you save the community center and I got you. We both got our deal satisfied. I don't see the point of doing this anymore. You know, you wake me up at 3am to talk about this and that I'm done, you know? And so here's my two weeks notice. So the two weeks of her trying to find a replacement, train a replacement, and then go off and do her thing. Right. Live her life as she used to. That's the movie. The replacements like this young, hot redhead from Harvard as well. And, uh, and, uh, she's just hungry. Right. And she's making heavy move on Hugh Grant's character late in the story. And my mom goes, Oh, she's a real gold digger. And I said, uh, 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 no, she isn't. She is not a gold digger. She is a climber. That's who she is. And there's a massive difference between a woman who is a gold digger and a woman who is a social climber. Both might use their beauty and sexuality, but yeah. one, their end goal. Like a gold digger is obvious. A gold digger exclusively uses the only value they figure, they figure, and are using is their physical attractiveness, their physical beauty to get a rich guy to get, make sure they get the most optimal uh, taking care of this, if you will, most material wealth brought their way. That's the goal of a gold digger. A social climber is somebody as a, and, and social climber isn't reserved for just a woman, you know, women, it, men, I know plenty of men who are social climbers. I have some, you know, friends that are social climbers. So for sure, or one, one in particular I'm thinking of, and I've seen them for sure. But the social climber is 
probably. I wonder but if I'm thinking of who you're The social climber is somebody who essentially manipulates people, uses their charm. They're, they're attractive. They're, they're often attractive, good-looking people, I find. Uh, but they are intelligent. And they are extreme. The one thing they all have, extreme ambition. And they usually don't come. To be a social climber, you're not already established. You come from a lower place on the run. You know, you're, and so if you want to be in the elite class, you have right. some work to do. And, the, you know, just like this, this young lady, she went to Harvard. Well, that's an amazing education. She obviously has a brain up there, you know. So obviously you got a noodle up there. And uh, mm -hmm. so she is trying to, she's using Wade. She uses people to, to raise her status, you know. To get to where she wants to be, wherever that goal is, right? So, and I was like, "That's the difference between a gold digger and a social climber." I actually think there's more. I prefer gold diggers. Let's say that in a lot of ways, there's something more upfront and honest. You can see a gold digger from a mile away. There's nothing. There's nothing heavily manipulative about saying, see how beautiful I am. Like we kind of know what the arrangement is here. It's obvious. Everybody can see it. You know, you're a fat, ugly pig and, but super wealthy. And I'm a fucking right. 10 out of 10 Fox. It's like, everybody knows the score here. And so there, there's, there's something more honest to it. And, and gold digging is really, let's be honest here is a very, very high form of prostitution. Right. I mean, come on. And uh, yeah. So when you're getting with somebody that you really aren't that attracted to, that you don't really like that much, except for for the money, for the, the security and the financial resources, that is the pure and sole reason why you're with this. That is essentially prostitution, but at a very, very high level. You know, so they tend to be very high quality prostitutes in that sense. But uh but yeah, but yeah, again, there's more honesty to it. It's not as creepily and uh, insidiously manipulative as a social climber. Those social climbers, they'll use you, bag you and tag you, move on up to the next step, up that, up that ladder. Uh-huh. Just <laughs> in the process if they need to in a lot of cases. They do tend to be... Psychopaths, I think. Social climbers, for sure. Anyway, anyway, that was my little thing. What do you? What's your stance? Social climber, yeah. gold digger. What do you think? Anything to add? Anything to offer? Um, I mean, uh, I'm trying to think. Of anything to add or offer? I just think you've you've at the. I wonder, unless you're just a complete, you know, sociopath or narcissist, I wonder if at the end of a lifetime, if you've spent your, if you've spent your life trying to piggyback off somebody else's successes or get something, you know, for free, or like you said, from uh, social climbing or, or, you know, marrying in rich, I wonder if you just, you die kind of with an empty feeling, or if you grow, you know, you grow old with an empty feeling, or if you're just like, yeah, it doesn't matter how I got uh, it. I got sure. It. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> Does that make it sense? Very, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Say what you got to say. Uh, like when I, huh? Uh, 
like I was gonna say, for instance, I have a, I have a relative who's who's fairly wealthy and is going through a you know a, a pretty rough divorce, and it was it's kind of becoming apparent that the that the the woman married for money, and I don't I almost think she has like a drug problem. She's she's just fucking crazy, but like locked him out of his own house, like had had her family come put a a lock on on the gate so he can't even get in his own house and all they care about are just like things and possessions to the point of where my relative is just like I don't I don't fucking care anymore I just I just don't want this headache in my life like I don't I'll give all my money away I just don't want don't want this like this mess whereas that's like the one thing that this other person wants and I just think that that woman who's doing this is like you have to be a really miserable person to be able to do that to somebody else to pretend you love somebody to marry them and to, and to, like move, you know, to move in. That's with not them a, just that's not a social climber. Money. That is a just gold because you want that more describing. Money. And you, I don't know who this lady is just based on the description you gave. Sounds like a gold digger. And, um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I think there's a, to be a prostitute, whether at a high, high, extremely high level, like this lady is, was essentially doing, uh, Ver, or on a very low, you're you're a Tijuana hooker, okay? Uh, you are you have been inf- inflicted by this world to with a level of of crushed dreams and all that, that you are extremely cynical. You're an extremely cynical person. You've given up on love, essentially. You're not holding out for it. If she did, if she was holding out for love, she wouldn't marry this guy for money. She would have waited for. Dude, maybe she was crushed before when her younger life. Maybe she had an abusive father, or or even a father figure who was abusive and just crushed her spirit. Yeah, and um, but yeah, you you're a cynic at that point. You're a massive cynic, and to, and to shake someone free of that cynicism when they're when after you reach a certain age, it gets extremely it gets harder and harder and harder to shake somebody from such deep and, and ugly cynicism. And there is a level of indignity as well to the whole arrangement. If you're the rich guy, well, you're only, you know, this lady's only with you for your money. And if you're the, if you're the beautiful woman, you know, this woman, this dude's only, this rich guy's only interested because your beauty, you know, that that's all you have to offer to each other. That's, that's your only value. It's your money and her beauty. Oh, okay. So y- you right. are subjecting to a level of indignity. You lose respect for yourself. So you're one another. It was a very toxic relationship quickly. And uh, yeah, and if you come to the point where you probably despise one another because they are the personification of your own indignity that you constantly play out day in, day out year by year until you can't stand it any longer. And if you're the gold digger, you're in a position with no prenup, you're in a position, you get the clean house. And if you're the poor schmuck who got into this arrangement, maybe your, your, whoever this relative is, was naive. Maybe he truly believed this lady really loved him for him. And maybe she tricked herself in the moment too. You get that as well. Okay, where they truly believe it, they're smitten with one another. They're so in love, but it's all surface area. Where is the attraction rooted in? It's rooted purely in the fact 
that she's attractive and she's being nice to you and seems she likes you back and vice versa, that you're rich and this is going well and, and she wants to get married and this is what women do and men do and, and go on with her. So you do kind of trick yourself, but if you, if you really look at the root of the relationship in that scenario, what's it based in? The, the shallow stuff. And that's where you run into problems. Unless they both happen to be pretty cool people deep down. Uh, uh, and these things get revealed over time. And they found out, they find out about, these sh- about each other and they actually like, wow, I re- we actually, you know, I really like each other. It's so unlikely. It's so unlikely though, when you get into a relationship from that nature, from that angle. But, um, but yeah, I would say, yeah, it, it's... Divorce is hell, man. It is fucking hell. And um, that's what I would say. Divorce is hell. And there are so many um, men, like you're saying, that that do that. They're like, man, I'd rather, I'll do anything. I'll give you my right arm. Just leave me alone, you know? And uh, they can be real nasty. They can be real nasty. That's all I can say. But... <clears throat> but I don't know what, what the point of your story was. What the fuck was the point of your right. story? The point mm-hmm. of my story was you're talking about social climbers and gold diggers and stuff oh, like are that. They it's yeah, a question more than anything. Is that person that that is a gold digger or a social climber? Like if they, you know, they didn't really earn anything. They kind of just like marry or, or like she's, she's scheme their way. She's into fucking it. miserable. That person, she's just as miserable as he is in so many ways. Day. Or but just, I would say, you know, um, to be a gold digger, cynicism, there might be a touch of sociopathy, lack of empathy, right? As well. Narcissism meaning too. Uh, cause you know, you're, you're, uh, maybe not, maybe not, but <clears throat> definitely on the table, certainly on the table could be. And if you are, uh, you know, then you don't feel bad for ruining somebody else's life as long as you're squared away in the end. And, um, but the truth is. A narcissist, and again, sociopaths, psychopaths have narcissism. They are narcissists. Not all narcissists are psychopaths, sociopaths, though, just so you know. But if you hit, hit that, that threshold of narcissism where you basically have a serious lack of empathy going on and it's all about you and your universe, well, that means you never truly hate anybody, but at the same, you know, you dislike people in the moment for this or that, oh, fuck that guy, whatever, but it's not. It's never a deep-rooted hatred, which is extremely unhealthy, by the way. But you, that's the one side. You never really hate anybody. Great. But you also are unable to love any, truly love anybody. And that's the bad part. And that's why you're unable to find true happiness when you're a narcissist. You know, that's what I think, at least believe, why a narcissist are unable. It's no, if right. you're a narcissist, you are basically in, incapable of achieving true happiness of actually sustaining it and having it. And, uh, and it's because you, you know, you never truly love anybody 
everything's on the surface. It's all about what can you do for me? What can you do for me? What, oh, you can't do, oh, fuck this person. They're, they're fucking this up for me. And uh, that's about it. I mean, it's like people are pawns for you almost. It's a very lonely, lonely place. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. You look at everything as, uh, or everybody is. I I don't know. I'm not a. What can they do for me? Clinical psychologist. I am not her doctor. I can't tell you what's going on with her. I can't even tell you if she's truly a gold digger. I don't know. But let's say she is those things. She's miserable. And even if she isn't a narcissist, she, she's probably, I mean, who's, who's going through a divorce with glee? That's ridiculous, right? I mean, that's kind of an idea for a comedic story. I like that idea, you know, celebrating your divorce, yeah. getting happy yeah. about it and, and, you know, yeah, whatever. But it, it's a failure. It's a failure of a commitment you make. You must have a pretty, you have to go to a pretty dark, low place, you know, and everybody goes through this who goes through divorce or man, you, you failed. You made a commitment. You made a thing, and, and in the end, it didn't work out. It failed. And you had all these plans, all these ideas for the rest of your life, and now that's all gone. That's like a loss in the family, right? You have to restructure and, and pick up the pieces and say, well, where am I going now? Right. Where, where, where's next? And you're just trying to figure things out, one foot over the other. Next step, just... Just keep moving forward, figure something out. And, uh, but yeah, it's a miserable place to be. That is the abyss for most people right there is that divorce stage from the person that you were, you made all these plans to spend the rest of your life with. So yeah, she's miserable. And I bet you, if she is a gold digger, she doesn't have a whole high, she doesn't have a high opinion about herself. And, and my guess is that if it was a long enough marriage that she's probably not in her prime anymore to get the guys that she would have hoped to have gotten before. That being said, if she's completely taken care of and wealthy, you know, she could go chase after the young little studs in their twenties who are poor, but really hot. Right. Just fucking ravage her, take care. And that's like a lot of, a lot of these gold diggers, that's kind of their game plans. Like, okay, marry this old fogey, divorce him, fucking break in the cash. Now I can go after Whatever. Now I can live the life I want. And it doesn't even need, for most of them, it isn't love. It's not like, oh, then I can fall in love with the real guy. No, 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 no. For most of them, it's not that. It's, it's now I can live the life that I, that I want, have the boyfriends, have guys that I really am attracted to in my life and want. Uh, maybe if there's alimony involved and that's how she's getting a lot of money, then no, marriage isn't really on the table for her anymore. She doesn't want to lose that alimony. As soon as you get married, you lose the alimony. And, uh, but yeah, it's very interesting. There's this great movie by the Coen brothers called intolerable cruelty with Catherine Zeta Jones and George Clooney. Fucking fantastic, hilarious, brilliant film. And Catherine Zeta Jones plays a gold digger and, uh, her, she's with her group of friends are gold diggers. And they really, they do a good comedic interpretation and job of, of examining that. And, uh, anyway, so great, great, great movie funny but all right <clears throat> we'll drop the gold digger talk my one of my favorite topics is i love gold diggers desperately uh but let's talk about that highlight of yours of 2020 we got the low light 
miscarriage. And that, again, I, I made the joke. That's most men's highlight of it. That would be most yep. men's highlight. Like, yeah, fuck yeah. But, uh, <laughs> pushing their ladies down the stairs and shit. Uh, but hey, that's not me. That's not me. I'm not saying that. I am yeah, a terrible person. I have <laughs> you know, fair share of pregnancy scares. You know, and for me, they're scares. They weren't. They weren't something that I was like, "Oh yeah, I'm ready and I want. I want this." Uh, and I know the kind of emotions that go involved with that. And so that is interesting. The the idea of the miscarriage. I don't know, man. So, do you want to examine those emotions? This right here. Talk to Doctor Gregory, and you're you're in your lounge chair. I got my clipboard, my little notepad. I'm scribbling away. Do you want to talk about uh, <laughs> that experience more in depth? The uh, the loss of because you wanted this. You wanted this baby. It was a surprise, but it was a happy surprise. Was there a moment where you were like, oh, fuck, shit. I kind of hope she's not pregnant. Yeah. You know? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, it was definitely. Because, yeah, cause, because it was, uh, it was a surprise. Because it was a surprise. You weren't prepared we were for it. So it was just, that was like the natural uh, knee-jerk reaction to whenever you think a girl you're with is pregnant. It's like, oh, fuck, I don't want that. But then you thought about it and you were like, oh, no, this is cool. I mean, <laughs> uh, um, well, yeah, just because like it wasn't something we were planning on, something we we talked about, but yeah, we weren't uh, we weren't like sitting down like, hey, this is like something we want to do this year. It was kind of like down the down the road. Um, it was a few years away for me, and I think a few years away for her as well but yeah like once you you know once we're like hey all right well cool this is it what we're doing you, i'm sorry to interrupt but it you know, sounds like it forced you to, to have the to truly consider really but no who this I woman don't. is to you and to make a decision right like am i committing am i going to be involved is this happening for real should i and you thought about it and you decided yeah yes it kind of forced that decision making time rather than doing it later or realizing it over time naturally Kind of, right? Huh. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah. And I don't really feel like it's something I, you know, I, I need to talk about. It's, it's, uh, it's just one of those things that happened. And it, like, it sucked at the time, obviously, you know, it's already kind of a, already kind of a shit year. And it's like a, it was a financially hard year or difficult year. And, and, you know, you're not seeing the people you want to yeah. see and you can't really plan to go anywhere, do what you want to do. You know, everything's always changing, which is kind of, kind of, kind of life in general. <laughs> Life's always evolving, always changing. So, um, embrace the change. I think, um, so yeah, yeah just to, like to make you guys feel less guilty about it. I think the statistics it, of on it, just... first, first pregnancies, uh, that end up in miscarriages for a couple is staggeringly high. Like I know my parents, their, their first baby was miscarried, miscarried. Like I wouldn't be here today if that one made it most likely, you know? So think of it that way. I'm yeah. the caboose kid. I'm the caboose kid. 
Yeah. Think about no. your caboose kid when you think about your miscarriage. <laughs> Maybe that'll be like, okay. You're up the, Not to say that the miscarriage the kid isn't real or doesn't care <laughs> for those who believe in, in life at conception. You know, uh, every life matters. But um, be grateful for all the lives, for whatever existence it has. You know, but okay, cool. Let's go. Let's move on to highlight. Highlight. What was your 2020 highlight, dude? Yeah. Highlight would be uh, now I'm I'm having a baby here in March. So I, I don't I'm one of those people. I'm kind of superstitious. So I don't like to get ahead of myself. But honestly, I'm more excited than I ever thought I would. That's, be to, that's fantastic. To be so parent. it's what I'm technically most the baby's for. coming it's really weird. It's a strange next feeling. year, not this year. So the highlight is yeah. learning that you were pregnant. Or was it the moment of conception oh, itself? You, highlight of 2020. Way to call me out. Yeah, that's the highlight. Sorry, is the well, we were kind of nervous going into it. The you know the second time too, just kind of like let's get past this point, let's get to this point, and then I've really kind of hit a point of where I'm like, hey, even once baby's here, I'm going to worry about this thing probably for the rest of my days. So it's kind of like finding comfort and being uncomfortable or just worried about you know yeah. this well, little knowing human that, that the, you're the responsible generations, for, this little for the rest human is going to be as a long lot as you, bigger as long and fatter than you, so. you know, so. If that makes just, sense. Uh, think about it. They're going to be fatter, like not doing anything. What's that Wally movie where everybody's just kind of carted around, yeah. all obese, eating their junk food, constantly being inundated with videos of, of <laughs> cartoons or whatever? <sighs> Tis life. Tis life, Johnny. Um, interesting. So. My point was the happiest moment was the moment you realized, okay, we're taking this thing to full term. This isn't, this isn't going to miscarry. We're, we're past that. And you know, it's happening now. You're past the danger zone. That was your happiest moment when you realized, okay, this is, this is sticking around. I'm going to be, yeah. uh, I'm going to actually get to be a father again, you know? So very cool, man. It sounds like a, a really uh, sex-filled filled year for you. 2020 was all about the sex. It was about having babies and losing babies and having them again. So uh, that sounds like a life <laughs> well lived, dude. All about the sex. Sweet. <sighs> uh, <laughs> what? what? Robert, California. Everything is sex. <laughs> The office, Robert California, from the I office. know with, uh, James Spader. Oh, is okay. James James Spader plays a character named Robert California in the hit sitcom show The Office with uh, uh, Steve Carell and that dirty Polak. What's his name? Uh, yes, Krasinski. I'm not a fan of his. I like Polish people, just not that dude. Whoa, and, whoa, John Krasinski. <laughs> dirty bull it's funny how people used to uh you know you well yeah what's that or whatever just uh well, that's they, in, they used uh, to bash each other for their grand torino their, their heritage grand torino you know? and you're yeah. trying to for yeah, an italian you, derogatory name I'm trying to think saying? of a derogatory irish, well, irish? so yeah. irish so i happen yeah. to be irish i have irish yeah irish no yeah irish. mick is usually one 
Like he's a potato Mick. eater. Because it's always a McGillahan, a Mick, a Mick this, a Mick that, right? That's their last name. They call him Mix. Um, yeah, potato eater, I think is right, or potato heads, maybe. Uh, what's the other one? Uh, I think that's pretty. I think that's pretty. Because I, I think. Uh, let's see here. Because in The Godfather, Tom Hagen, when he confronts Waltz for the first time, and he's like, you know, giving him shit because he's saying that he's whatever, like Italian. And he goes, I'm actually, he goes, I'm German Irish. Let me tell you something, my Mick Kraut friend, or my, my Kraut Mick friend, that's what he says. He calls him a Kraut, which is German, derogatory Mick for, for Irish. But, um, yeah, 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 yeah. I have, well, I got more than, I got a lot of things. I do have German. That's actually the thing I'm most made up of is German. Did you know that? Uh, 23andMe initially told me. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Big time. I did not. Well, I always no. knew that if you had to bring it to well, one, I, guess, uh, I just figured German, I was just so mixed yeah, up with German. all sorts of different stuff. And I am. I truly am. But <laughs> I, I, just, I thought, well, you know, if you had to pick one yeah. country that I have the most ancestry from, it's German. But it amounted to like 11.4% of my DNA makeup. Well, most recently, they updated it uh, a few months back. I, I learned that. They've 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 upticked it like by threefold. It's like thirty two point something percent now. I'm like a third German DNA wise, which is more than my ancestry should be. I think. Yeah, the more and more people who what do they do they go back and DNA, they just the better and better the, the data sample is. Here's another one. I oh, am. Gotcha. I have more. Neanderthal variants. I have like over 300. I have 300 something Neanderthal DNA variants. And uh, that's that's more variants than 98% of the 23andMe users. So I'm Neanderthal as fuck. I'm the top two percentile. Did we talk about that? We already talked about this. I brought that up already. I swear. it. Yeah, we totally talked about Neanderthal. You already did. You never remember anything. Neand John. Neanderthal. You never shit. No, I think you've been. I think dude, you've been sipping. We totally. No, I remember we were talking about German like pronunciation, and I said Neanderthal, not Neanderthal. Negative. Nen and I totally. And also, I think I remember referencing. Remember, I brought it up earlier. Because that's like mm. a thing. I, I, I've already talked about this whole DNA spiel. I already did it. You're not, you're not checking me. Dude. You're not checking me. You don't remember shit. You're useless. Perhaps you, you did. Perhaps mind of mine, you did. And you're doing a poor job. Dude, dude this has been a... Damn you, Johnny. This has been a rough... Boring the hell out of, out of our been... listeners. Whoever's, whoever's sad people, <laughs> they, they were happy, and now they're sad. They found this podcast. A train wreck that they can't stop looking away from. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but like, well, Honestly, I want to. We focused way to too much on the negative, the low lights. That was like half the show, was just talking about the low lights. And then we talked about hookers and shit. And then, and then, next thing you know, yeah, the highlights were like. Took like five minutes. 
of this whole segment. So actually, we started with the negatives, we ended with the positives, but it's actually a profoundly negative show if you think about what we just did here. Just, but it, it's fitting for 2020, right? We're ending the year right. So, so sayonara, a, a, a much needed and welcomed salute goodbye to the year 2020. I am optimistic about 2021. Let me tell you, Johnny, what's your outlook for 2021? My outlook for 2021? Um, it could definitely go worse. <laughs> it can't get any worse. It can't get it worse. It totally make it worse than 2020. Of, uh, don't let anybody like think. Some, the people are some, like, oh, some po- post it could totally get worse. So don't get all yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, arrogant about it, okay? It could totally get worse. You got to keep your eye on this shit. But I, natural optimist, I think 2021 yeah, is going to be a world. great year. A lot of room to swing up. Go ahead. I do too, and it's because I'm. It's because I'm not. A I used to be optimist. like that. I used to be like, a, like that, Johnny. I've Carlos transformed like myself. Games, I've but, turned um, myself into optimist because it's a happier uh, life. No, I, Yeah. Yep, yep, and that's exactly my point, is I'm choosing for 2021 to be a better year. So it's kind of that mindset, hey, it could go to complete shit, it could be mm. worse than 2020, mm. but I'm going to, in my mind, it's going to be better than 2020. I'm going to find a, a fucking reason that it's better than 2020. And if that's because I'm a dad and I have this little baby that I'm responsible for, get to, you know, hang You have a really disgusting face. Of course it's going to throw up on you. Have it throw up on me all day, uh, then no, cool. Best year of my life. Right. If it's... Uh, <laughs> yeah, you see it as your home. Why my parents dropped me off at the fire station, really. and also probably why I like um, fire stations. Yeah, that's why you like to call. That's why you like to call every firefighter you run into, yeah. Daddy. Face only hey, a mother could love, and my mom didn't doing? love it. <laughs> hey, I'm talking about you, here, not me. You. Dude, what you do you. in your own time is your business. If it's moral and it's ethical. You call every – you just <laughs> call – It sounds like – You as a dude just walking up to strangers <laughs> that are like public servants, especially, you know, the more attractive angle for men like a firefighter. And you just call, hey, daddy, what's going on? Doing today? Daddy, 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 ridiculous. Oh. <laughs> Any gay men out there listening, they need to do that. That'd be great. That'd be hilarious. Well, maybe perhaps exclusively attractive men, that are, but they have to be strangers. They have to be guys you've never met before. And uh, that'd be hilarious. But um, yeah, 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 yeah. So my outlook 2021, I think I think it's going to be a better year. Of course, again, I want to reiterate, it could, oh, it it can get worse. Believe me. You don't think it can. It can get way worse. Okay. 2019 was like the greatest year in human history for, for you know, in human existence. It's just ridiculously opulent, uh, privileged time for humanity was 2019. So we have a lot way. We have a lot further down to go if we want. And we don't and we'll be careful and watch it. And uh, so... Yeah, 2021, I'm optimistic. Yeah. Uh, I, 
politics. We can get into politics and shit if we want another time. But um, I, I am. I, I, I have to be. I have to be optimistic. I'm moving forward. Do I think this pandemic thing and issue is is going to be? An, yeah. As long as we still are counting uh, the amount hospitalized and the body count and all that stuff, it'll be an issue. When we stop counting, it'll stop being an issue is my guess. But you can't be like a, you know, all, the next day everybody stops talking about it and like, what happened to the pandemic? And nobody's wearing masks. It'll be gradual. And hopefully by the spring, summer, this won't be a thing very much at all. You'll probably still see people in the service yeah. industry and shops and stuff still wearing masks, but nobody is required to wear masks anymore, you know, is the hope. And uh, when you start seeing the doctors, the CDC uh, and reporters and, and the news saying the numbers are going down, it's really seems like we're out of it. And the, the vaccine worked, right? The vaccines. And so, I, I do think the restrictions, we're, we're going to start getting more and more back to normal life, and that's good. The only thing that gets me kind of uh, woozy is the politics side. I don't know how things are going to play out politically in this country. Things are extremely conflagratory, and it can get pretty nasty, quite frankly. And that could affect not only just socially – you know, suddenly this year with the joy, it wasn't cool to go outside, not just because of the pandemic, because of violence and destruction in a lot of cities. And and some cities have been ruined beyond recognition. I don't think Minneapolis is doing too great right now. And uh, yeah. pandemic, no, no, you know, I, I don't think it's doing so great. And so uh, so there's that. Then there is uh, what may happen economically as well economically and the politics of that have a big have can determine a lot for that as well so economic downturn very possible 2021 very possible we could putter out this last stimulus package didn't really affect the markets very much you know although we did hit a new high today and the s&p 500 yeah barely but yeah and and all that but yeah. Um, yeah. You could have been. I think you could have invested in guns. I, I wish that, I were in I the think gun the best thing to invest in selling guns earlier Good on Lord. before the pandemic probably would have been mm -hmm. uh, like Moderna or like a number of these pharmaceutical companies that, that came out with the vaccine would have been pretty fucking crazy. Zoom. If you invested in Zoom prior pandemic, insane, insane. Uh, so there's a number of them. Amazon went up a lot, but you know, it, it kind of is, you know, it's, it's a colossal ship that's moving. So it can't, how much more can it go up at a time? Um, but so, yeah, there was a lot of major moves. Tesla went insane. Tesla went absolutely absurd. Right. Right. Bonkers for, for a minute there, at least uh, maybe back. I, I haven't checked in a while. So there's a number Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No. But anyway, I so I, I think that, uh, Tesla went parabolic this year. It's ridiculous. I'm just. We'll, we'll see what happens. I, 
it could get worse though. Let everybody know it could get worse and just be grateful for, for the day that you have and that things aren't worse because it could always get worse. And that should be everybody's attitude for 2021. That, yeah, 2020 was shit compared to 2019, but let's not compare 2020 to 2019. You know, let's compare 2020 to, to 1820, you know, to, 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 to right. 1020 or 1120. I'm trying to think of a particularly bad year that, that had the last two digits 20. It doesn't matter. Any of those periods, you know, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta prove good, pretty good thing here. You know, you're, you're allowed to stay home, get your government check while you watch Netflix and eat Cheetos, you know? Come on. So, yeah, be a little cheery, be a little, and there's opportunity all around us, opportunity <laughs> to meet people, to, to, to engage in something, uh, an activity or something new you've never done before, never thought of to invent things. And so think outside the box, baby. Huh? Go ahead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I wonder how many people... Oh, I certainly hope so. Yeah, I wonder I how many people... Hope so. that, uh, that idea of, you know, of, kind of work this, gave, yeah, this gave an opportunity to many people this year. to... Yeah. As we were starving the poor from across the, wor the world, the millions and millions of poor people that have died this year because of our shutdowns and these people staying home, hopefully something could have came over, over it other than a bowl full of che uh, Cheetos and, and Netflix watching. Hopefully, yeah, somebody found a new inspiration, a new passion. And maybe they were miserable for getting into that hamster wheel and the rat race, the busy bee getting their car, going to the same job, feeling nothing, becoming nihilistic nearly. And now they found a new purpose and, and something that excited them. Hopefully that's happened enough. And we're going to get a heavily exciting, innovative 2021 over that over the contemplative few who turned this lemon into lemonade. So aside from that, I wish you, my friend and everyone a happy new year and, uh, yeah. And yeah. Sayonara 2020. Goodbye. Uh, goodbye. You're basic. You're basic. <laughs> yeah. So, huh? Bye. Yeah. Happy. Uh, <laughs> well, no, I was just going to say happy new year's to you as well. And I feel like there's more that I want to catch up on next time we chat kind of back to Christmas and some other stuff we haven't talked about and possibly more. I do. I want to ask you more about your thoughts on, on uh, real estate as an investment and, and just more, more on real estate in general, or you know, become becoming a realtor, real estate the lifestyle is your realtor, friend. shit like that. I was born in it. Anything about Molded it. by it. No, some uh, people yeah, we can delve deeper into real real estate if you like. Yeah, for sure. I'm curious. I'm curious about what Christmas questions you want to talk about. Yeah, I guess you could we go over the gifts. Stuff I'm got. genuinely curious about. Do you get on, any Dude, I got a ton of gifts, which I was not expecting this year. Like one for me personally, which I was kind of like, I did not want or need for, for much. Um, but we got a bunch of baby stuff too, You're which I was, I was really stoked on. And oddly enough, yeah, I was so wow. stoked to get baby presents, which I never thought I'd hear myself say. But yeah, let's talk about that. Let's chat. I got to skedaddle too. I got to get going with my. I got to. I got to go. I got to run to a couple houses and get some paint on the wall, and then I might have to go get more. I got to start my.
you know, broad potty, you know. But um, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, we're, we're doing sell that some for sure. houses, you fucking but, yeah, Christmas. Get out of here. Yeah, it sounds cool. Oh, yeah, my highlight Christmas, real quick, was just a cheese grater, man. I got a cool cheese grater, and that's about it. So I asked for one thing. Listen to this. I asked for one thing this Christmas. One thing. Because my mom's Dude, like, what do you want awesome. for Christmas? So, so you like, can make me. You know, I make... don't like Christmas. You know, I don't huh? ask for anything. I don't want anything. It's okay. Do you, do you want to get me something? Get me something. I don't really care. And, and then I thought, like, actually, you know what I'd like? A pizza stone. I would like a pizza stone. I used to have a pizza stone. I think my grandmother got. <laughs> Clock? What the fuck was that? I was wondering if you were coming back. Uh, it cuts us off at a certain time. I'm a horrible host, and I forgot to. I forgot about that, and I didn't realize we were talking that long. You know, I but, I got back to my yeah my shit. I had to do but, money uh, making scheme. But oh well, that's oh uh, that's why I, I just figured you you were you were like you had to run. No, you, you cut. I would I, was, I wouldn't have just hung clock. up on you. No, I I, well, I, I I I was meaning to send you a text to let you know and give you some type of insult for being a horrible person, but I got distracted. And then you, I heard you texting me back and I was like, Oh, he's this piece of shit's apologizing to me. Well, nobody cares about our dramatic baby mama drama relationship. Finish the story of your pizza stone so I can add it in and I can okay. move on with my day and my phone's about to die. So make it quick. Motherfucker. Oh, yeah, me too. I, again, I got to fucking run. So this is going to be really fucking short. And sour, just because it's a sour story, baby. Just fucking spill it. <laughs> it is so sour; it's gonna make you feel sick. No, uh, I, I don't know where I. So I, my mom was like, "Oh my gosh, what do you want for Christmas?" You wanted a like pizza three, stone. Three weeks from Christmas. Yeah, eventually, you, I'll like, you want a pizza grater. stone. And I'm thinking, this is a perfect gift, and it's not just for me. It's the gift that keeps on giving. It's a, it's a community gift, right? right? Everybody can enjoy my pizzas. Yeah, and uh, and so I think that's perfect. In my pizza game, I'm becoming a, a legitimate pizziolo. I got to tell you right now, my game is getting real good with this shit. But uh, so <clears throat> here I am. Christmas comes, and there like, there came a point when I realized I wasn't getting a pizza stone. <laughs> that was the first time in my middle-class upbringing life that I asked for something that wasn't flat out rejected. Like I, I never asked for something ridiculous. So there was never, I was never like, no, no, sorry. It was never that. But, uh, but it's the first time I asked for something and I didn't get it. And it was, I laughed. I thought it was hilarious. It's actually the gift in itself was being rejected. <laughs> being made to feel not important or loved. And kind of, it's keeping me honest. It's like, oh shit, you know, I can't, I can't just be all taking it for granted, you know. So, uh, but that was that yeah. was that was it. That was I. My highlight was gift was probably a cheese grater, if I can recollect. And um, there was a nice gift from a certain friend. Got me a. Uh, uh, a glass, like a tumbler glass for, for whiskey, scotches, that nice. is molded in a little, 
bevel, little inlet thing to hold my cigars while I smoke. So I can drink and smoke and hold a cigar in it. Very cool. So it's, yeah, it's Holds molded it in the glass. the glass. Yeah. So I can hold what it inside of the glass. Yeah. So that was kind of cool. And she got it monogrammed for me too. I was like, whoa. Very cool. So that was pretty cool. But why do you think they shut down the pizza stone? I don't want to. Why? Uh, my my but... mother told me that it was too late, apparently. She asks me, and then I tell her, and then she's like, oh, it's too late. We we had. I'm like, what? My recollection was she asked me, and then I told her after like thinking about it for like a few minutes. I was like, actually, you know what? I could use a pizza stone. But I think her story is I came up with it like a week later. I had, I amended. You know what? I was thinking about it. I want I want a pizza stone. You know, that's what would be perfect. I could you if you're gonna get me something, give me a pizza stone. And in that case, that's her story. That's her story. That she already went shopping for me. She already bought me a cheese grater. And it was too late for me. And, uh, and then my grandmother, I don't know. She just didn't want to do it. She got me uh, an assortment of sausages that I'm excited to eat, I guess. Different types of sausages. Like, uh, I don't know, bratwurst, Italian. I don't know. I, I guess, you know. So that's fun. I, you know, so that's it. Well, that's it. That's, that was my Christmas. Uh, my nephews, my second brother's kids had an absolutely insane Christmas. Insane. Like insane. Job. The amount of toys and the shit they got is insane. Yeah. Just wait. Just overboard. Overboard. Gluttony. Way too much. Toys. Yeah. Um, they're, they're fucking rotten. They're, they're never coming back after this Christmas. They're done. You know? Really well, let's, ch let's chat about that next time. That'd be a good topic. Sure. It's sure. Good. Yeah. Disgusting I'm sure that'll get American everybody running back toys. to our to our follow up uh, uh, podcast. Yeah, that's that's the that's the one right there. Thinking, Lincoln. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Well, I'm sorry you didn't get a pizza stone, man, and I'll keep that in mind next time I come visit you because I like your pizzas. I liked them before, so I can't imagine what they are now if they're. Uh, did you have them? You better. did you have them back when uh, I was in Orangevale? Yeah. Then yeah. I had the pizza stone back then. Yeah, that's the difference, baby, right there. And, and, but so, I do make pizzas differently. It's the same ingredient dough-wise, but uh, uh, the process, the process of the of of the of making the dough, and the the kneading and the and the and the uh, the proofing and all that stuff, and the time yeah. stuff, it makes all the difference. That's what I learned, baby. So. Yeah, and I got I got two words for you. I'm sorry to cut you off, Greg, but rabbit hole. Rabbit hole. You like holes of rabbits? You fucking sick beast. Yeah, we're going freak. down a rabbit hole. You, you like fucking holes schmuck. of rabbits? I've got to go. Rabbit hole lover? <laughs> I've got to okay. go. Pervert. Happy New Year's, right, man. See you. Happy New Year. <laughs> Later.